Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right. Absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 415th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Did you know the best seeds for your garden don't come from the nursery? In fact, the seeds that will create the most robust and delicious fruits and vegetables come directly from your garden. This is because they are uniquely adapted to your growing conditions, better than anything you can buy from a fancy catalog or website. Through the magic of seed saving, it is quite possible to have the garden of your dreams. The best part is, saving your own seeds is surprisingly easy and fun. With a bit of instruction, anyone can become a seed-saving superstar. Let us teach you how in our free seed-saving webinar. Just text SEEDS to 33444 to sign up or visit SeedSavingHacked.org for more information. That's SEEDS to 33444 or visit SeedSavingHacked.org. Today on our podcast, we have someone who went from green lawns to green vegetables. We're talking with John Brubaker about micro-urban farming. John has been working on golf courses for over 35 years since the age of 16. He planted thousands of trees and just for fun would typically have an organic vegetable garden on the golf course for the enjoyment of the customers and staff. Along the way, he earned a Bachelor's of Science degree from Utah State University in horticulture. In 2013, his wife and daughters developed some digestive issues, so he started growing his own vegetables, built a compost pile, implemented no-dig methods, planted for pollinators, introduced beneficial predator insects, and so on. Soon, he was giving vegetables to his neighbors, and he had become an urban farmer. In 2018, he named his micro-farm Straw Hat, rented a booth at a farmer's market, and started selling organic produce. The success was beyond his expectations, incredibly rewarding, and now he is planning on retiring from the golf course and going into urban farming. Welcome to the show today, John. Are you ready to rock? I certainly am. Thanks for having me. 
Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah, I think I can. The the timeline on all of this stuff is kind of blurry because I didn't actually set out to become an urban farmer. I just wanted to grow more food so the family, my wife and I and our daughters could have, you know, fresh produce that was pesticide free. Mm-hmm. And I, I quickly found out that the adrenaline rush of growing the vegetables as the organic process started working with the composts and minimized input and things was, you know, it was quite a rush. Yeah. And so I just sort of started to expand it. And as the fire got fueled more and more, I started very small and with 20 beds, 25 foot by 30 inches. Wow. And yeah, well, and I was in a good situation because it was relatively there weren't any, there weren't the financial pressures that a lot of, a lot of people start mm-hmm. urban farming with, you know, it was just an opportunity for me to use my education, uh, my experience and my time in trying to develop a model that would fit my, my context mm-hmm. and, and what I needed it to fulfill. The interesting thing about most people that grow food is this is like their second thing they do. They all, you know, everybody else has something else that we do along the way. And it sounds like you're fitting into that model. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was really surprised at the farmer's market, just how many people are interested in, in having fresh local vegetables. Mm-hmm. It was really staggering. And that it's caused me to take a hard look at this and, and look at expansion of the process. I think I'm going to try to get up to 4,000 square feet or 4,500 square feet next year. Uh-huh. I'm going to run out of compost. I got to do something, do something about the compost issue, but I'll find a way. Yeah. And you want to minimize the inputs, I think. And, and that's the, you know, everybody talks about the, the sustainability of it, I think, and the regenerative, and those two words kind of get put back and forth. And, and some say regenerative is, is the word sustainable is not enough. And geez, I like to look at them as kind of a both kind of a thing. Oh, yes. Because because regenerative kind of, to me, refers to the soil and the planet and sustainability. I mean, we live in a capitalist, for good or for bad, we live in a capitalist society. And so at very least, it's got to be financially sustainable. Oh, yes. You know, in permaculture, definitely financially sustainable is, is a piece of the pie. If it's not, and in nature, financially sustainable is, is it putting enough fruit off? And you, we, we both know that there's a, a tremendous amount of abundance that comes out of our gardens. Oh, geez. I'll tell you what. I was flabbergasted at how quickly my yields started to increase in my little micro farm. That I uh-huh. was, basically, for all I was, I was just experimenting around and see what happened. And the yields got up there really high, really quickly. And, you know, after the, after the first year, this last year, in 2018, I actually stopped putting – I didn't have any – fertilizer inputs at all other than the compost going onto the soil right and i found i you know and i hope my yields continue to increase on that because it will make all the you know it keeps those those internal costs down oh yeah and makes it more sustainable makes it more sustainable for the model i'm trying to develop exactly Um, well if you believe elaine ingham she's been on our show a couple of times Yeah, I know. (laughs) she says that if you get the right microbial balance in the soil you don't have to fertilize yeah, and I've, I've I've read a lot of Elaine's Dr. Ingham stuff and and listened to your podcast about, and it seems to be just spot on, right? I mean, oh yeah, I think it's complicated beyond my knowledge base, that's for sure. Or maybe, but as well, as long as I can make it work, I'm not 
you know, I, I don't need to be afraid of it. Exactly. I was going to say, or, or maybe it's just a matter of, you know, building enough organic matter and compost in your soils until they self heal and, yeah. you know, add compost every year. Yeah. And then, and then try to get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because it's, uh, it's remarkable what happens if you just kind of not do, you can, you can basically, you can stop and not try to fix it and it seems to work wonderfully. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, how did this whole vegetable thing happen for you? Because it's you said it's kind of a it's kind of a blur along the way. You know what happened? Well, of course, my my wife and, and youngest daughter they they started having some digestive issues, celiacs. Is, is oh yes, the issue that came about, and so we had to abandon all all breads. Mm-hmm. And celiacs is an autoimmune problem, so. Being in the green industry for all these years, I know that a lot of the pesticides on the on the target pest you're trying to deal with it will gets onto your their immune system, <laughs> and so it occurred to me that if you grew vegetables without any pesticides on, you'd probably be a little bit ahead of the game. You think? And yeah, yeah, kind of crazy, right? <laughs> so that's what I started trying to do, and I and I don't use anything. I don't even use the uh, the organic approved pesticides. Mm-hmm. I just kind of. I use insect nettings and I put lace wings in there to chew on the bugs and ladybugs. And I even uh, brought in some praying mantis this year. Not, not if I didn't bring them in, but they kind of showed up. And, uh, you know, it's amazing when you let it alone, you said it earlier, when you let it alone, it's amazing how nature just handles oh, this stuff. Yeah. I've, I've heard it referred to in my reading and stuff like that is lazy gardening. And it's, I don't, I wouldn't call it lazy gardening. I wouldn't apply lazy to it at all. Uh I would just say uh, amazing gardening more like, (laughs) because if you just don't try to fix it, I'm really surprised at what can happen. Yeah. Pleasantly surprised too. So can you kind of give me an idea of what you grow on a month to month basis? Sure. I, what I grow for the market and what I grow for, for the home are, well, they're not different things, but they don't, some of the things I grow for the home, I don't take to market. Uh-huh. Like, uh, I like to grow artichokes. I like to grow cantaloupe and, and they're wonderful. You know, we, we just eat those until the cows come home. But for the market, I do a lot of the greens. I do the kales and the spinaches, some lettuces, beets, radishes, things like that. I grew some glass gem corn this year. Oh, nice. And uh, Yeah, and I took it to the market just as more of a uh, a decoration to decorate because it's just, I mean, it's just gorgeous. Oh, yeah. But I had people coming by and just saying, what do I do with this? And I said, well, it's popcorn, so give it a go. I sold it like crazy. Mm-hmm. And people just ate it up. And, and so I'll probably do it again. I did save uh, four or five cobs for my own seeds. Oh, good. And, uh, yeah. Well, it's amazing. You know, that little seed, six weeks later, you have a 10-foot tall plant in your front yard. I know. Isn't that amazing? uh, Yeah. And the neighbors come by and they kind of shake their head. (laughs) 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 But that's okay. They can shake their head all they want. Yeah, exactly. Interestingly, you say that. I I have a photograph of me sitting in my front yard. It's a magazine cover from about 12 years ago from the Scottsdale Times. And it says, with me sitting cross-legged in in my front yard with corn in back of me, it says green extreme. But would you want to be neighbors with this quirky tree hugger? Well, anybody who answers that question, honestly, is like, well, yeah, because 
they're going to have food. Food, right. <laughs> they're going to have really good food. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But all in all, I have about 22 different things that I grow. And I'm probably going to, you know, I will whittle that down over time. Mm -hmm. But for now, it's really just a a giant journey, right? I will try to grow what people want and try to grow it the best I can and make it regenerative and sustainable and everything else all in one move. A model that's scalable. Right. That's one of the important things of what I'm trying to do. Well, one of the regenerative things that you're doing is saving your own seeds. That's huge. Yeah. Well, I, I've uh, listened to you and Bill McDornan. Oh, yes. Talk, talk about it on, on a monthly basis or every other month, Yep. whatever it is. And Once that, a month. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a wonderful way to, you know, get things that are growing well in your area, your microclimate. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it seems to make a big difference. It absolutely makes a big difference. You bet. Yeah, I think you mentioned you mentioned one time talking about a parsley that you have. Oh yes, that you've been growing you grow growing in your place for years, and now it's basically a weed in my yard. What you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a wonderful weed to have, I suppose. <laughs> oh yes, it's kind now, of a superfood weed, right? You know, once you plant open pollinated seeds, you let them go to seed. You know, they just replant themselves year after year, and I have basil and parsley and cowpeas and nasturtiums and lettuce and garlic and onions that all just Holy come cow. back. And there's many more things out there too, but it just comes back year after year after year. It's- yeah. And I've saved the onion seeds. I've saved Hale's best jumbo cantaloupe seeds, tomatoes. And you know, that's an area where I'm going to expand what I'm trying to do for sure. Because if they grow well in my yard, then they grow well in my yard and that's what I need. Yeah. So you've been selling at a farmer's market. Have you thought about selling to chefs? Well, I don't think that I've entertained that at this point, mostly because I want to scale this the right way. I don't want this to overtake my life, and I can easily see how it could. (laughs) Right? You could get doing this 60, 70 hours a week and never get done. If you just jumped in with both feet. Oh, yeah. And I've, I've heard so many people say, that they did this much, they did an acre, they did an acre and a half, they did two acres, and they found that they were working 80 hours a week just to try to keep up on it. Yeah. And I'm just, yeah, I, I want to go the other way. I want to sneak up on it. I like that. And see where it, see where it goes mm-hmm. so that I can kind of, I can pick the stop point. Right. And I can say, okay, that's enough. Yeah. I don't need to go any further. So when I was at college, I went back to college late in life from 99 to 06. And from about 99 to 04, I raised food in my front and backyards. And I went to the market every week and then all the leftovers would go to a friend of mine that would, that owned a restaurant. And what I found in doing that process was that chefs were a bit easier than farmer's markets because I could just grow what I grew and then I'd take it to them. And it was kind of all one fell swoop. So, you know, I did both of them, both the market and the chefs, but I kind of defaulted to the chef's later on. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, and that could easily be the case for me, right? It's There's a number of avenues of this process that I haven't explored yet. Mm-hmm. Chefs are one of them. The seed saving is just getting going. There's a, there's a whole big pie of things that you can do to try to make this work. And I've just taken a couple of bites, I think, yeah. in, in my own mind. That's the fun part of this. There's so much to explore. And I mean, like, what do you want to do? Right. Right. You know, there's medicinal herbs, there's culinary herbs, there's vegetables, there's 
hey, you want to make kale chips? There's, yeah, you know, it goes on and on and on. Yeah, and you can go just about anywhere you want to go with it. And, and you know, and your health, your health is at the center of it on the back mm-hmm. end, right? I mean, Big time. And the, and the people that you're you're delivering the food to, their help is on the back end of that. I think it's important to that commercial agriculture that, boy, we really we really need to take a look at that and say, okay, maybe that's not quite right. <laughs> right. If we can do things better locally, there was a product just in the news about a giant recall and, gee whiz, lettuce. You know, maybe maybe yeah, romaine lettuce and maybe maybe locally is a, a better solution, a better answer. I know for me locally and from my backyard is a better solution. And it sounds like that's the case for you too. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, we, we really enjoy it. And uh, we've learned quite a lot about preserving foods and, you know, not a ton, but pickling onions, beets, things like that. Well, you, and you, then of course, tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. You kind of have to once you have all of this abundance. Right. It's like, what do you do with it all? <laughs> yeah. So we bought a blancher a couple of years ago, you know, the broccoli, blanching the broccoli. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. I mean, it's just head after head of broccoli that got blanched a year and a half ago, two years ago. Mm-hmm. You just store it in the freezer? Yeah, we store it yeah. in the freezer. I, I vacuum seal it and store it in the freezer. And, you know, basically it will last us all winter. I do our own pesto. Oh, um, those kind nice. Of yeah, right. I mean, golly, pe- homemade pesto is terrific. Anybody is. out there who hasn't tried homemade pesto, I just think that that should be they should just call it a food group. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and just say, okay, homemade pesto is a food group. Yeah. It just tastes differently than anything you can get out of a bottle. Oh my god, the understatement. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to I want to kind of explore something cuz this whole this whole thing about going to a farmers market, it can be a little of a stop point, a little bit of a stop point for people. How how did that process work for you? I mean, it worked really well. I had no problems at the farmer's market. I mean, I went to the website, our local Wheeler's Farm is the market that I go to. Uh-huh. And I went to their website after the first of the years, where they were having a, a meeting where they got all the potential vendors together and they go over the rules and they say, well, you, you know, this and this and this. And the nice part about the fresh vegetable market is the rules aren't, you know, they're not stringent. They, right. They kind of they kind of stay out of your way as long as you don't claim that you you know they're washed and ready to eat. Mm-hmm. The USDA will kind of leave you alone, and so you know when you put that on the bag tag, this isn't washed, it's not ready to eat, and you're good to go. In terms of the market itself, gosh, we it was a Sunday market, and I would go down there an hour early and get it all set up, and we'd work. I'd work until two o'clock in the afternoon, and the people, the vet, the other vendors, and the people that were there were wonderful. It's a community on its own, isn't it? A really cool Oh, man, it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I would have long conversations with people about the vegetables that I'm growing, and I have four or five people standing in line. Isn't that nice? I was there all alone, so I don't know how nice it was. (laughs) You know, I don't recall if they left or not, but I would like to to get them their food faster. Yeah. So I'm going to work on some things in that regard, and if they want to email me and tell me what they want, I will have it waiting for them when they get there. Because, you know, everybody's time is valuable these days. Yeah. So you try to respect it as much as you can. Absolutely. And and that what you just said, wow, that would be a really cool way to connect with customers. You have a list for the next week uh-huh. and have people pre-order stuff and have it available and waiting for them at the market. Yeah, just have, it, just have an emailer and just, you know, 
tell them, send them out a, uh, what, a fresh sheet of what you have and let them pick and, yep. and have it available for them when they get there. And that way, you know, they're in and out in just a couple of minutes. Uh-huh. And, uh, I know that we all stand in line at the grocery store and that's hard enough. If you go to the farmer's market, usually you're on a, on a tight schedule because you do have to go. And so you want to get them in and out as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Convenience. And they're paying a premium price. You pay more at farmer's market than you do at the grocery store. Right. I personally think you get a whole lot better product. You still do pay more. And people do have a little bit of heartache about that sometimes. Well, and it's fresher and it's more nutritious. Oh, yeah. And we and you know your farmer and just go for it. <laughs> That's what I say. Just go yeah, for right? it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I'm going to continue doing that. What a good experience it was. And uh, I have people that refer to me as their go-to farmer. Nice. That's kind of a reward that I didn't really see coming in this process. Mm -hmm. Is when somebody says something like that to you and you just kind of go, well, crap. Now I have responsibility. (laughs) Yeah, but not responsibility like a problem. No, not a problem. Responsibility. Responsibility to make sure that I get them the best products that I can. Yeah. And that's a uh, really good thing. Oh, that's quite a, that's quite a rush. That really is. So one of the things I love about this conversation is your enthusiasm. I've been a grower for a long time, and this is a, this is kind of a new rabbit hole that I went down a few years ago. And there's a lot of fun down here. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I'm overwhelmed by the interest. I'm overwhelmed by how much I can produce in a really small spot. And, you know, people have come before me that have that have kind of laid it out for us. Where you can, you know, you can do a, a very high intensity rotation on your plants, and you can produce a tremendous amount of food. Yeah, that's a good thing, right? I would like to see everybody in our neighborhood doing that very thing, right? Because I, I think that overall everybody's health would be better. And plus, if I could get them to grow a few things that, you know, I'm not growing, maybe I could trade them. Yeah, exactly. You know, one of the things that I've that I noticed when I was in Europe. I was in Europe in 2004 for three weeks and I was in Europe in 2014 for two weeks. And one of the things I noticed is that pretty much every yard had food growing in it. And one of the strange things for me here in Phoenix is, is that virtually no yards have food growing in them. Yeah. Well, I don't know how it is in Phoenix, but up here we have city ordinances. They kind of bother me where you have to have so much of your yard has to be grass. Aye. And I'm and I'm a grass guy, right? I've been a grass guy right. for a long time. But I'm looking at that going, you know, we're, we don't have enough water to do that. <laughs> yeah. This is the desert. Yeah, and we're going to see that more and more over the course of the next decade or two. I think that there's going to be water shortages and we need to pay, wake up. Yeah, and, and, you know, use the mulches and use the biological principles of regenerative agriculture to get us to get us where we need to be. Yeah. And and you can still still have a little grass to sit on. It doesn't you know doesn't have to be. It's not a yes or a no. There's a lot of gray area in between. Maybe minimize the grass a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm a big 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 proponent of don't plant something unless you can eat it or it supports your edibles. And as you said in your composting, the grass is part of that process. Yeah. Yeah. If I don't put the grass clippings back onto the onto the existing grass, I I catch it and put it into the compost. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, and grass is a great harvester of nutrients out of the soil. Oh, sure. So why bag it? Why bag it up and throw it away wherever away is? Right. Yeah. Wherever away is. That's (laughs) a good point. And you know, and I haven't, I don't use any synthetic chemicals on my, on my yard. I haven't in a number of years. And so I, I feel like it's safe for the vegetables and 
safe for the, the goals that I'm trying to accomplish in the garden. So I put it in the compost pile. Makes perfect sense to me. Along with the coffee grounds and, you know, all of the other carbon-based things that can be decomposed. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, and I was going to mention earlier, one of the ways that I went from not producing enough compost to having enough compost from my gardens is I started collecting food waste from a local restaurant and I get 10 buckets of food waste a week from this local restaurant and it goes to the worm bin. It goes, some of it goes to the worm bin. Some of it goes to the chickens. Some of it goes to my soldier fly experiment that I keep experimenting with, but a big bulk of it goes into the compost bins. And now all of a sudden I'm a year into this and we get enough compost for our garden beds now. Well, you know what? That's something I should, I'm going to have to look at and see what I can get going there. Because if I'll flip the switch for you, because I am a little short of compost. Yeah. Or, or I'm going to be. Let's put it that way. And rather than have it hauled in from somewhere, I'd just assume. Make it on site. Produce as much as I can, right? Yeah, much as I can right here on site. You know, it's, it's the circle thing. You, you try to close the circle is what I'm trying to do. Make it a self-sustaining, closed circle system. Right. The cool thing this year is I had enough compost for my gardens. Uh, you know, I just use the pallet method where you stack pallets on their sides sure. and you have a cube four by four by four. And, you know, there you go. Yeah. And do you just a couple inches of compost around your, around your stuff? Yep. Basically I add it right on top. I don't dig. I'm a no-till guy as well. Yeah. It's, well, I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. It's, yeah. Uh, don't touch it. It's living. Leave it alone. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, Kari Spencer, she's one of uh, my business partners and friends and one of the teachers here. Uh, she says, mm-hmm. if you till your garden, it would be like going down a street of houses with a big piece of equipment and just running over the houses. That's what it does to the soil. So, well, I've listened to Elaine and everybody enough to know that you don't want to disturb the soil. And so the main thing that I try to do is I don't even try, I try to dig as small a hole as I possibly can mm-hmm. to plant the transplants, you know, right? just don't bother. And it's always in the two inches of compost that I've just put on, Yeah, you know, and, and so I don't actually, I'm not getting down into the, the soil that's been there for a while because the way I look at it, there's probably a, a fungal community, hopefully a fungal community mm-hmm. going on down there that's that's just basically doing my work for me. Right. And that just seems like a real good idea to me. Yeah. And, you I know, concentrate on other things. Yeah. You said that. I want to do a shout out about this because I get, in fact, in the past couple of weeks, I've been getting a lot of emails from people. Oh my gosh, I got this fungus stuff growing in my mulch around my trees. It's like, yes, leave it alone. Right. (laughs) Right. That's a good thing. So mushrooms and fungus in your yard is good. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. What's the statistic? It's like 95% of the the fungal community is beneficial. Mm -hmm. 99, something like it's a, it's a huge number. And And that's just what they know. Right. I mean, this is a great big open door that, it hasn't been that long ago. They didn't even know what they were looking at. Right. Yeah. So, so leave the soil structure alone. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from it. My failures are kind of a, a, a daily, I would say event. Excellent. And I, and I don't, and I don't mind failure. I really don't because I think if, if you can adjust your course a little bit because you've, you've missed the mark on something, you're going to be ahead the next time that that comes up. Yeah. I guess my biggest failure is my struggle in trying to communicate what I know to be factual regarding the micro farming, the, the composting, the, 
organic inputs only, I seem to struggle delivering that message. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to, what I, then that's an area where I'm just going to keep working on. And I don't know if it's the delivery that I use or the tone or just the message itself. I'm, I'm, is just, you know, not what it ought to be. Yeah. And so that's an area that I just keep working on. Yeah. Well, and the good news is, is that the more you do it, the better you get, the more you do it. Well, and, and that's certainly what I hope. I hope it will be. And uh, I hope one day to tell people this story that I'm on and they go, well, gee whiz, that's cool. How can I get to doing that? That's what I'm hoping for. Cool. So what do you consider your biggest success? This is one that my wife, Catherine, had a little fun with me about. She said, tell them it's your straw bale potatoes. <laughs> oh, tell me about those. <laughs> you know, straw bales. When you have horses, you have a lot of straw. You uh -huh. have a lot of hay left over. And, you know, because it gets wet. Oh, yeah. You can't really feed it to the horses because they get sick. And so I hang on to it. And what I do is I take it out in the springtime and wet it down with water really heavily and, and put a couple inches of compost on the top of it and water it every other day for 10 days, put a thermometer in there and it oh. goes, it'll get up to about 130 degrees, 100, 135 and start to decompose. Mm -hmm. And when it starts to cool down, I, I plant potatoes in it. The potatoes just come out, I mean, they just grow like crazy. They come out wonderfully. The yields probably aren't what they would be if you did it in the soil, but you use that hay that's basically would be, uh, you know, a garbage or a, right. a waste product. A waste product, yep. And, and, the, and at the end of the year, I can cut the strings on that and spread that around the garden, and I've, and I've got myself a, a decomposed mulch. <laughs> so works out pretty good. <laughs> but, you know, that's not my biggest success. My biggest success is my daughter's. Yeah. I mean, they're far and away. And they've been so supportive of, uh, although they do give me the eyebrow look every once in a while, like, you're doing what? <laughs> <laughs> but but they've been really supportive and they're great. And I don't know what I'd do without them. Yeah. So. Yeah. That was my, I got, I used to get the eyebrow look from my dad. My dad, my dad always <laughs> yeah. wanted me to go out and get a real job. And it's like, dad, this is my yeah. real job. Yeah. And, you know, as he, as he sure. aged and got to the end of his life, he couldn't tell me enough of how, how proud he was of me. So, well, and that's the thing, right? So, you know, when you get the eyebrow look from somebody you're close to, you know, you're either crazy or you're onto something. <laughs> right. And so, you know, hopefully I'm onto something. <laughs> I think we're onto something big here because. Oh, absolutely. You know, everybody's got to eat. And the most important thing that we can be doing right now, in my opinion, is figuring out where our food comes from and growing it. So. Yeah, I would, I would agree a hundred percent with that comment yeah. right there. So what drives you? Um, well, you know, there's a there's a series of issues that drives me. You know, after years of using the, the synthetic fertilizers and the chemicals, and I have found that I've been wrong for a long, mm. long time. They they don't need to be used. There are other ways to do it. And going into food production seems like the right approach because the fact that we have hungry people in this country, that just appalls me. Yeah. It appalls me. Yeah. I mean, there there's not a reason in the world. <laughs> That we should have, there's, there shouldn't be anybody hungry in this country. There shouldn't be anybody hungry in the world. Right. We just got to work on our systems a little bit and get that down. Or teach them how to grow food. Teach them how to grow food. And that's, yeah. that's kind of what I'm, that's what's driving me. I want to get something that, something that I can put down on paper that, okay, if you follow this recipe and adapt it to your climate, your micro area, you ought to be able to grow all the food you need. Mm -hmm. That's the long goal, right? I've heard you talk about your long goal is to solve the food problem for, the entire planet world or is it just no, yeah, it's a, let's yeah. might as well go see, with you, the planet yeah see your goal is a lot bigger than mine is. 
I just want to create a model. <laughs> yeah, good. Well, and you know, really that's what it is for me. I'm not going to do this work myself. I'm just putting structures in place that people are inspired by and say, you know, just like you, you know, you jump in and yeah. you're, you're inspired and you're doing this work and other people are seeing it and they get inspired and then they do it. And that's the idea, right? I mean, that's yeah. what we, that's what, that's what we're doing this for because right. that will solve the problem. I mean, they certainly, the, the big governments aren't going to solve the problems. Yep. They don't appear to be willing to solve the problems. So it's going to have to be solved at a small local level with individuals starting small and growing it up. That's doing the work. That's right. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Can I recommend a couple of things? Sure. One's, one's, one's a book, one's a podcast. The book, of course, is Teeming with Microbes by, by Jeff Lowenfels and Wayne Lewis. Oh, yes. Where it, uh, it's just an outstanding book to help you get a grasp on what is going on beneath your feet and how you really need to respect it more than maybe we do. Mm-hmm. I've, I've read that book repeatedly, and every time I read it, I, I, I grab something new out of it and go, huh, well, yep, I didn't, I didn't have that worked into the equation, but maybe I should. And then the second thing is a podcast. It's, of course, there's your podcast, but there's one podcast out there that I listened to, I think it was in 2016. It was a Radiolab podcast, and it's, the guest was a lady named Dr. Suzanne Summerd, Simmerd, from the University of British Columbia, and the podcast is called From Tree to Shining Tree, and it's a podcast that I recommend to everybody because it describes the forest floor and what's going on in the forest floor and how important that is to every breath of air that we take. Oh, yes. And, you know, if anybody has 30 minutes of time where they're not doing a whole lot and they just want to put their microphones in or their earplugs in and listen to a podcast, that is one that uh, potentially that's a game changer for people. Yeah. If they would just listen to that one and go, huh, well, I didn't realize that. <laughs> so the podcast is called From Tree to Shining Tree? From Tree to Shining Tree. And the episode was with Dr. Suzanne... Simmers. Simmered. S-I-M-A-R-D. All right. I'm going to go listen to it. Oh, yeah. You should. I mean, it's terrific. It is really it is really something. Cool. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? If you want to get into something like this, if you see something that bothers you or you think you want to be a part of, just go ahead and do it. <laughs> I mean, start small. Start mm-hmm. small. Don't, don't quit your day job, as they say. <laughs> right away. See what get your feet wet, see what it's like and kind of build it. And it'll work. It'll work because if you have the, the, the knowledge base is out there. I mean, gee whiz, there's knowledge everywhere with the, with the internet. Oh my God. Good and bad. Yes. And so you got to, even with all of this information out there, you've got to kind of sort through it and apply what you can to your climate, your, your situation. Because, you know, you could, in, in my situation, growing vegetables, I can drive, a mile from my house and the microclimate is entirely different. Right. And so what you, you know, what you always have to do is you have to think about what you're doing, but don't be afraid to go ahead and think. <laughs> right. It won't hurt a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, John. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, absolutely. Loved the conversation today. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Um, well, I have, I have a website and an Instagram and a Facebook page, and they're all, oh, and an email, and they're all the same. The email is strawhaturbanfarm at gmail.com, and 
Facebook is Straw Hat Urban Farm, uh, Instagram Straw Hat Urban Farm, and the the uh, website is all has strawhaturbanfarm.com. Beautiful. Just drop me, drop me. Yeah, yeah, I got them all. It's such a long uh, name that nobody bothered with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So you know, just drop me a line. Let me know what you think and any improvements that anybody's got in mind for me. Boy, I would sure love to hear them. Yeah, because this is a great adventure, and I'm having a blast. Nice. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash straw hat. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and every place that podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.